0: The Mayo Clinic, the National Institutes of Health, and the American Academy of Dermatology all sort of coincided to say that acne is a skin condition that occurs when your hair follicles become plugged with oil and dead skin cells. It usually appears on the face, the chest, and the upper back because we have more of these things called sebaceous glands, which produce oil to maintain a moisture barrier. However, the American Academy of Dermatology, specifically, they mentioned that androgens, such as DHT, DHEA, testosterone, may cause increased size of these sebaceous glands, may increase the activity, leading to more oil production and leading to clogged hair follicles. But what I'm interested in is, what causes the causes of acne? Is it just hormones? We also hear in pop media that there are food triggers to acne, that there are nutrient deficiencies that are linked to acne, that you are not cleaning your skin enough or you're not buying an expensive enough cream to fix your acne problem. Do any of these hold up to scientific scrutiny? What are they missing and how can my extensive experimentation with my own face that led me to almost entirely resolve my acne in a few short months. Welcome to the Live Damn Well podcast. My goal with this project is pretty simple. In a world which has become increasingly divisive and polarized, I want to bring you a balanced perspective of health. To deliver on that promise, I'll seek out experts with conflicting opinions to tackle the topic of health from as many angles as possible in order to make this podcast into an amazing resource for anyone looking to improve their health. Thanks for joining me. Back to the Live Damn Well podcast. I'm really excited to share this episode with you because acne is something that I've struggled a lot with, and it's something that many people struggle with, you know, even past their teenage years, well into their 20s and even 30s sometimes. So, before we get into the show, a few quick reminders. If you have enjoyed this podcast in the past, or you're a new listener and you really enjoyed this episode, please consider buying me a coffee at the link below. Also, make sure to check out Thrive Market. They are a fully online subscription-based grocery store that delivers right to your door. Think of it basically like a Whole Foods except a fraction of the price and you get it delivered right to your door. They include things like frozen wild-caught fish and grass-fed beef and they have really good organic wines. They have gluten-free, vegan, paleo, basically the whole purpose of Thrive Market is to have this curated grocery store where they have all high quality, very minimally processed foods that are very nutrient dense. I really love them for snacks, for supplements, for non-toxic cleaning products and you know they have pretty much everything that a normal grocery store might have, but way, way cheaper really. like You'll save an average of 30% every single time you make a purchase here. So highly recommend you go check them out. You can get 30% off your first order and a free gift when you join Thrive Market using the link in the description. Now I also wanna shout out Jigsaw Health Magnesium Slow Release Technology. They have a really cool formulation here and they've actually had several clinical trials which have shown that this formulation does actually increase the amounts of red blood cell magnesium in your blood, which is pretty cool because formulations like magnesium oxide or magnesium citrate which are really the most common forms are not the best forms because they don't absorb very well I mean with magnesium oxide and citrate it's basically just helping you poop in my opinion it it might help for sleep but there are way more optimal forms that will have other additional benefits and this slow release technology formula the first benefit is that it is releasing over the entire day rather than just all at once because As with many things, your body has sort of a limit on how much it can absorb at at a given time. So by extending this period of releasing this magnesium into your bloodstream, the, the idea is that you will actually absorb more of what you are putting in your mouth. Additionally, it's a form called magnesium malate, which actually has some pretty impressive benefits for athletes in terms of recovery and exercise performance, which may be cool for my athletes listening. And finally, they actually include some B vitamins, which actually help in the metabolism of magnesium. They basically help magnesium do do its thing, whether it be for sleep or for its anxiolytic benefits against anxiety. Uh, highly recommend you check them out. You can get a $10 off discount with the link in the description using code LIVEDAMNWELL. And finally, please consider checking out my book, Return to Human. I wrote this book in order to give us insights into the pandemic so that we can not make the same mistake when inevitable future pandemics hit. More specifically, I talk about all of the lifestyle factors which made us more susceptible to COVID-19, including mental health and how that's tied to immune health, sleep and its role in immune health, gut health and metabolism, light exposure, movement, and electromagnetic field exposure. I include all of these things with direct evidence tying many of these simple lifestyle habits to our risk of developing COVID-19. And not just COVID-19, but several other viral infections such as the flu and the common cold. And I did this because I believe that we have made a lot of advancements as a species in terms of technology, in terms of how we live our day-to-day lives, but it's really come at the cost of our health in many instances. And scientific evidence is now validating this hypothesis, showing us that from populations that are modern hunter-gatherers, such as the Hadza living in northern Tanzania, they have pretty remarkable gut health, pretty remarkable metabolic health, immune health, cardiovascular health, and mental health. And I will make the argument that this is because they are living in a way that is ancestrally consistent. In other words, the foods that they're eating, the way that they're moving, the way that they're sleeping, the type of light exposure they're getting, the type of social cues that they're getting from their environment—all of these things are allowing them to remain pretty healthy well into their old age, which is actually something which is a common misconception that you know modern hunter gatherers or you know how we used to live back in the Paleolithic era—you know—it was a nasty, horrible life that we lived and that were very short, and that actually may not be the case um, if we can extrapolate out the data from these modern hunter-gatherers. And I'll explain that more in depth in the book. But overall, I really wanted to have some insights into not only these lifestyle factors, which predisposed us to lose hundreds of thousands, if not millions more lives than we needed to lose to COVID-19 that could have been prevented. Many Many of these deaths could have been prevented by lifestyle but also, it's important to note that we could have had better open dialogue with people that we didn't agree with, you know, this sort of, on both sides, we had people calling out the other side for being misinformation or, you know, being crazy and basically if we're unwilling to have a dialogue with people that we disagree with, we can't come up with solutions to fix the problem and neither side can grow because both side thinks they're right and each side thinks that the other side is wrong. So I hope you go check out this book. I put a lot of heart and soul into it, and you can check that out on Amazon by searching up Return to Human. Just filter out books, and the link will be in the description of that as well. Alright, so what is and what causes acne? If we're really going to make a good attempt at trying to resolve this thing, and if I'm going to share with you how I resolved my acne for the most part, then we got to know what exactly it is. Well acne, unfortunately, and really shockingly, is the eighth most common disease globally. And I looked up the the big dogs of medicine, you know, what do they think is acne and what are the causes? So. The Mayo Clinic, the National Institutes of Health, and the American Academy of Dermatology all sort of coincided to say that acne is a skin condition that occurs when your hair follicles become plugged with oil and dead skin cells. It usually appears on the face, the chest, and the upper back because we have more of these things called sebaceous glands, which produce oil to maintain a moisture barrier. We have different types of acne. We have whiteheads, blackheads, pimples, cysts, and eventually, if the acne is severe enough, we have scars and dark spots. But what actually causes acne? Well, according to the Mayo Clinic, there are four main causes. We have excess oil or sebum production. We have hair follicles being clogged by this oil and dead skin cells. And we have bacteria, which can lead to infections. And finally, we also have inflammation. Interestingly, they don't really list hormones here. If you've ever researched acne, you have very likely heard that hormones are involved in acne. However, the American Academy of Dermatology does list hormones, and actually it's one of the things that they focus on the most. Specifically, they mention that androgens, such as DHT, DHEA, testosterone, may cause increased size of these sebaceous glands and may increase the activity, leading to more oil production and leading to clogged hair follicles. But what I'm interested in is, well, if you know, these clogged pores are the cause of acne than what causes the causes of acne because here's my understanding thus far you have excess oil which are which is a product of increased sebaceous gland size and activity which then clogs the hair follicles which then leads to a bacterial infection which normally lives on the skin but it actually allows it to actually enter the pore enter the hair follicle along with the oil which creates this really gross looking thing finally we get inflammation and then Eventually, that's acne. But what actually leads to this overproduction of excess oil? Is it just hormones like we hear in in pop media? Or is there something more? Well, to be fair, we also hear in pop media that there are food triggers to acne, that there are nutrient deficiencies that are linked to acne, that you are not cleaning your skin enough or you're not buying an expensive enough cream to fix your acne problems. But I really wanted to know, do any of these hold up to scientific scrutiny? What are they missing? And how can my extensive experimentation with my own face, how has that led me to almost entirely resolve my acne in a few short months? Well, it began with questioning the science. In 1995, there was a clinical trial which questioned this theory that hormones were to blame for acne. Because again, the accepted theory was that hormones increased the activity of the sebaceous glands, which led to increased oil production, clogged glands, and eventually acne. However, if this is true, then acne should be more prevalent in males with the highest testosterone. But that's actually not what we see. In fact, there doesn't seem to be a very strong relationship between T levels and acne in males. In fact, estrogen, more specifically estradiol levels, not testosterone, were actually higher in males with acne in some older studies. Furthermore, In some studies, females may actually have more acne than males. Now I'm not saying that there's no, absolutely no role of hormones in acne. There does definitely seem to be some sort of role there, but it's not as simple as you have high levels of testosterone. You're going to get this horrible acne on your face. So it's nuanced and controversial from what I can tell, but from what I know and how I have fixed my acne. It has not been to try to tank my testosterone by drinking 5 liters of soy milk. Like it has not been <laughs> trying to target testosterone. It, having high testosterone is not a bad thing unless you have, you know, incredibly dangerously high levels, but that's that's not a dangerous thing and I don't think that we should be targeting testosterone to try to get rid of our acne. I think that's a pretty stupid approach. Well, for males especially. So Now I'm going to share with you how I stumbled through all of these acne solutions that, you know, some of which worked, some of which didn't work. Um, You know, the reason that I'm sharing these at the beginning here is because even though some of these may not have worked for me, that doesn't mean they can't work for you. Um, You know, especially when we're talking about nutrient deficiencies, I may have had more zinc in my diet, and you, know, you may be very deficient, so therefore me including more zinc in my diet is not going to help with my acne, but because you are already in a deficient state, it might actually help you. So here we go. To briefly explain to you my story with acne, uh, once I hit puberty, I started to get acne erupting mostly on my face, but some on my chest, um, a little bit sometimes on upper shoulders, and my face care was really all I knew about. Uh, acne and trying to treat it back then, so I was, you know, washing vigorously, destroying my face, exfoliating, moisturizing, spot treatment with uh, benzoyl peroxide, you know, proactive and uh, salicylic acid. Um, the results were no real noticeable improvement whatsoever, uh, except for, you know, the spot treatments that I mentioned, which um, unfortunately really dried out my face like crazy, and. Indeed, the Mayo Clinic validates that this is the case with many people who try to you know, really scrub the shit out of their skin because they end up sort of destroying their skin. Um, because acne, according to the Mayo Clinic, is not actually caused by dirty skin, and you can really overdo cleaning your face, which can lead to worse acne. My diet at the time, uh, I didn't really have any real dietary restrictions. I was eating anything and everything that I wanted. I was an athlete, so I was just plowing through food like crazy. I was eating a pretty healthy diet with minimally processed foods, uh, ample fruits and vegetables. I had good quality sources of protein, like fish, meat, eggs, and chicken. Uh, Although I did have some IBS-like symptoms, so irritable bowel syndrome, Uh, I had a lot of bloating, always feeling full, uh, never really feeling hungry, just always felt kind of inflamed after eating, but I thought it was normal, so I didn't really tell anybody anything. Although should have told me that, that something was wrong. And that maybe I should have experimented with my diet. But you know, I was a dumb teenager back then. So I didn't really know anything. Now, I eventually got really, really uh, angry at having acne. And I, I just really wanted to get rid of it. So I went to the dermatologist, uh, I ended up waiting for two hours just to have the doctor look at me for 30 seconds. And no, honestly, it was probably like 20 seconds. And he looked at me Looked at my face and says, and started taking out his notebook. Wrote a prescription for antibiotics and said, "See ya." Uh, I grabbed the paper from him and I said, "No thanks," and I left. And indeed, the common treatments for acne are antibiotics. You have the tetracyclines uh, like minocycline and doxycycline, uh, or a macrolide like erythromycin and azithromycin. And of course, the side effects to antibiotics are are clear. In the short term, they may be beneficial. Of course, um, they actually reduce inflammation um, sometimes in the in the short term. Uh, however, you don't really want to be taking these in the long term. Um, in my humble opinion, from everything that I've read and in, in the research, uh, because it might lead to gut dysbiosis, and you know, in more severe cases, it might lead to bacterial antibiotic resistance, where you have these bacteria that sort of adapt to not die from antibiotics anymore, which can be pretty, pretty fucking scary. So I, I, don't, I don't know that I would, uh, I would have subject myself to that personally. Another treatment that is commonly used for acne are oral contraceptives for women. And for men and women, although mostly for women, you also have anti-androgen agents, which, again, for men in most cases, I think that is, uh, I would never undergo that because I don't want to get rid of testosterone because I am a male and that is a healthy thing to have. Now, they also have isotretinoin, which is a derivative of vitamin A, although this comes with some some of them are severe side effects, some of them are just minimal side effects, but you know, you have something as severe as inflammatory bowel disease, depression, and if you're taking it during um, when, you are, when you're pregnant, then you can have some severe birth defects. Now at 19 or 20, I, you know I, I was sort of fed up with this whole dermatologist visit and I started to experiment myself because I wasn't about to take on this whole laundry list of side effects just to potentially get rid of my acne. So first, I, I tried keto. Um, I didn't really do it for acne at the time. Um, I was sort of just uh, trying it for anxiety and for metabolism or something. I don't know, I probably heard something on, on YouTube and I was like, oh, keto, yeah, best diet ever. So I tried it. Um, after a few months, I actually did see very, very marked improvements in uh, my face. It, I got comments about my face being the most clear it had ever been. Although at the time, I didn't really understand why. I thought, oh, maybe it's ketones being anti-inflammatory. You know, I had no idea. Uh, Later, I did find out why keto helped, and I'll share that later on. Next, I started eliminating foods. So I stopped doing keto at this point. I just started cutting out a bunch of foods, and I went full paleo pretty much, Um, which basically meant uh, very few grains, uh, not a lot of dairy, and very minimal processed foods, if not like none at all. Um, and within a few weeks, my acne also improved. But I would have occasional flare-ups, which would occur seemingly out of nowhere. Um, which, of course, did indicate that I didn't really know—I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> I just—I just saw that I had some periods of time where it would be better, some periods of time where it would be worse. Which was, to be fair, which was an improvement from what I experienced before this point, because before then I was just having bad acne all the time. And if I wanted to enjoy some normal people foods, I would have to face the consequences, no pun intended. I would have uh, breakouts, um, although I, didn't, I couldn't really target exactly which foods were problematic at the time, but I'll share with you what I think they were and how the scientific evidence actually reflects that. Then I started to experiment with a bunch of supplements, uh, the first of which were omega-3s. And there's actually some evidence to this now that I look back on it. Um, several hypothesized mechanisms include that inflammation may play a role in acne, and omega-3s in many different contexts, strikingly, are anti-inflammatory. So um, several researchers have investigated whether they could improve the inflammatory um, aspect of acne. Sebum production might be another mechanism by which omega-3s may improve acne. Uh, In fact, omega-3s may reduce sebum production. A randomized control trial was actually done in order to test these hypotheses and these mechanisms, and it actually did show that acne was improved after 10 weeks of 2 grams of EPA and DHA. In my experience, uh, I tried this, although I didn't supplement. My protocol was having uh, wild-caught sardines, uh, which did have two grams of omega-3s per serving, I had maybe a small improvement in acne, but it wasn't worth the fish burps for me. So if, you know, if I were to do something like this again, I would probably supplement from a good high quality, you know, small fish uh, omega-3 supplement. So something that was derived from sardines or something that was derived from, uh, from mackerel, uh, something like that, that was, that was really, really high quality. Um, With a lot of those things, sometimes you have to be careful that the omega-3s aren't like totally uh, oxidized and that they're stable. Um, So I I really, really look for a good quality source like what I just mentioned. Also, heavy metals may potentially be an issue. So that's why, um, just to clarify, that's why I recommended the, um, why I would use personally the smaller fish next i tried vitamin a which is something i started hearing all the time in the ancestral health circles it's like oh you gotta eat your vitamin you gotta get your vitamin a that's why we have so much acne Um, so i looked it up um, after usually that's my main process i listen to something on youtube or on a podcast and then i actually try to verify it on pubmed and see if it's actually um, if it's actually true so it appears that uh, serum vitamin a is actually much lower in acne patients than control. So it does seem that people who have uh, severe acne um, have more of a deficiency in vitamin A than, than controls, which you know, was preliminary evidence. That's, of course, not direct evidence that vitamin A can help, but at least it did show, okay, great, there's some rationale here. Next, I found a 1981 study which actually used these ridiculous megadoses 300,000 IU for women, international units for women, and four to 500,000 international units of vitamin A retinol per day as well. Um, And they did this for what seems like a crazy amount of time, at at least three months and up to six months. And the results were that almost half of patients had a 75% reduction in acne lesions after the treatment. And most patients did have decreased oiliness, so decreased sebum production, most likely. There was, as they said, no toxicity associated with excess vitamin A, which I I kept reading on in the study, and it seems like kind of bullshit because then they go on to say that the main side effects reported were uh, dry skin, nausea, and headaches. And finally, after stopping the treatment, relapse did occur in many patients after discontinuing the vitamin A treatment. There was also a 2022 review study in which eight clinical trials and one case study using oral vitamin A to treat acne. And the results were actually pretty consistent with the previous clinical trial in 1981, and it showed that eight out of nine studies actually did show a significant improvement uh, in acne. However, they did note the high potential for toxicity in the long term, which is something that the authors in 1981 sort of glossed over in my opinion. So my experience, uh, I did try supplementation, but uh, first I actually tried food, which is something that I think is very wise to do um, when considering doing any of any health protocol is is start with the minimum dose possible and if needed i can work my way up and so that's that's what i did so i looked up well if i'm deficient which i totally could be um, i actually think i got deficient by being in the sun too long Uh, uv rays do deplete vitamin a in your skin so that may be that's my hypothesis Um, how much vitamin a do we need per day so I looked up the Harvard School of Public Health and they said for 19 years and older, for men, you need about 3,000 international units. Now, remember, the 1981 study was 300,000 IU for women and 500,000 IU for men, which is a ridiculous amount, over 100, 000, over 100 times more than this, uh, what you need per day. So 3,000 IU for men, is recommended per day and 2300 IU is recommended for women and this is um, just to be clear they're not they're different forms of vitamin A but these 3000 IUs and 2300 are in what is called retinol activity equivalents you'll see this as R a e on any supplement bottle typically so you don't necessarily want the beta carotene version I actually I don't really like the beta carotene versions for reasons that I'll explain here soon so the vitamin a rich foods i started to look for okay well how can i get this into my diet Uh, carrots have a lot of vitamin a you know if you look up a medium whole carrot you'll get ten thousand one hundred international units which is pretty impressive and i thought oh well carrots might be the way to go here however as i just mentioned these this vitamin a is actually in the form of beta carotene in plants Um, and so these 10,100 international units are in the beta carotene form, which must be converted into uh, retinol. And absorption is also an issue with this beta carotene form. It's not just that they must be actually converted into this active form of retinol, but absorption is an issue because uh, the body, there's a sort of, it's it's controversial how much you can absorb from beta carotene, but it, it seems like it can absorb from as low as five percent to as high as sixty-five percent, and there was a there was a study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, which showed that one may need to consume twenty-eight times more beta carotene than retinol to reach daily intake. So, in other words, it's the ratio in order to sort of be equivalent um, in the effects of vitamin A would be twenty-eight to one. Um, so twenty-eight to one being uh, beta carotene to retinol in terms of the the microgram amounts that you would that you would need to to satisfy the the vitamin A requirements um, to basically to do what vitamin A needs to do you would need to consume more from beta carotene than from retinol. So I was displeased because I like carrots, um, but uh, also happy because I didn't need to consume so many freaking carrots, and I could eat more animal foods. Um, I found that beef liver, of course, was the champion of having a lot of vitamin A um, and egg yolks, which I consume every single day, which was really easy. And these have almost purely retinol and not beta carotene. So I started eating beef beef liver like crazy. I was eating like three ounces almost every day, probably every other day. And three ounces does contain 15,300 international units, which is not only you know, at face value more than carrots, but as I said before, we'll actually absorb and use way more of this vitamin A that we have in, in beef liver than we'll possibly use with uh, plant foods. The egg yolks, each egg yolk has 245 international units each day, and I would usually eat like four egg yolks a day, so that would be a, a pretty decent amount, be a pretty close second there as well. I, I did notice a small improvement myself, um, but not really enough to shout it from the rooftops. So I did try vitamin A supplementation. Um, I tried—I want to say it was around 100,000 IU per day for a couple of months. Uh, the results were were mixed for myself. So they helped a little more than the vitamin A from food uh, from food alone with acne. But uh, within a month, my skin dried out, my lips dried out, and I started getting these headaches every single day that I had never gotten in, in my life for this consistently. Um, and indeed, that is a very clear sign of vitamin A toxicity or you know, getting near vitamin A toxicity. So I, I stopped it immediately. And uh, all of those symptoms that I just mentioned have stopped. I actually also started to get a rash when I would be in the sun, um, and that's gone away as well. So uh, just to summarize here, if you are considering doing this, you know, don't just go run and do it like I did. Um, you could if you wanted, that's up to you, that's your responsibility, but it's wise to start with food is what I have what I have noticed. Next, I tried zinc. Um, and there's actually, there's good amount of evidence, some of it is mixed, but there's quite a lot which is which also shows that it's very promising for, for acne. The first piece of evidence is that zinc levels are much lower in acne patients than in controls. Um, so again it's like the vitamin A. You see that okay there at least seems to seems to be deficiencies in people who are who have acne, which you know gives you a reason to to test that hypothesis out. And indeed, there was a 2020 systematic review and meta analysis Basically, for those of you who, who don't know what, what that means, that, that just means that this study is not just one single study, but it's actually a study composed of many, many studies. And they were evaluating whether or not zinc could help with acne. And they did find that oral zinc sulfate or zinc gluconate, gluconate being the much more widely available and common form of zinc that's sold in mo- more supplements, these forms for around 12 weeks or less did improve uh, acne, they improved the number of of lesions. Now the dose of gluconate varied um, from between 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams a day. And they again, they did find some significant improvement in most of these studies. However, most of these studies were in males, and uh, they did use a wide range of zinc dose from 137 to 300 milligrams, two to three times daily um, of either zinc sulfate or zinc gluconate, uh, which is, you know, they may be different in terms of the effects that they may, that they may exert on acne. So again, my experience, I, I did start out again, trying to get more zinc-rich foods, and I looked up, well, how much zinc do we need per day? And it seems like from the National Institutes of Health, they list that from 19 years and up, um, females need about eight milligrams, Males need about 11. If you're pregnant, you need also about 11 and lactating about 12 milligrams. So I started with zinc-rich foods, much to my dismay. They were oysters. Uh, raw oysters, specifically cooked, also have quite a bit. Um, the raw ones have 32 milligrams, which is 300% of your daily value. And the cooked ones have 28 milligrams, which is 250% daily value. So I would eat these also like every other day, maybe two to three times a week because I didn't want to overdo it on the zinc either. Um, red meat actually has quite a bit of zinc as well. In fact, a three and a half ounce portion of ground beef has about six milligrams of zinc, which is a little bit over the fifty percent of your your daily intake. An egg has about five percent daily value, which is pretty great because you know eating like four or more of those a day for myself, I would get to at least twenty percent of the daily value there. Uh, you do have zinc in legumes, nuts, and whole grains, and uh, they can seem like good sources of zinc, but again, when you run into the issue here of bioavailability. Uh, it's much much lower, so. You're not absorbing as much zinc as you would from the oysters, from the red meat, and from the egg, because you have this anti-nutrient called phytic acid, which the National Institutes of Health do note that it is a that it is a real issue. Um, it's not just um, you know these quote-unquote crazy animal-based advocates that are just saying that uh, plants have these anti-nutrients that block absorption of nutrients. It is literally the National Institutes of Health. Like I don't know how much what greater level of credibility you could get than the National Institutes of Health. Um, But, you know, again, please don't get mad at me if you're vegan. I'm not saying being vegan is a bad thing, but I'm saying that it's a lot harder to get many, many nutrients. Um, And in this case, it is harder to get more zinc and more vitamin A from plant foods alone, especially if you are in a place of deficiency. So then I actually... Um, I didn't notice a huge impact, I did start to supplement. Um, I will say that this is important um, because because I didn't want to overdo it, um, I stopped eating the oysters uh, um, and then started supplementing with zinc because I didn't want to have this huge mega doses of food derived zinc and also have these huge mega doses from, from supplementation. So I just sort of chose one or the other after I tried the food, it sort of worked, then I tried the supplements. So I would start with less than half the dose, so like 50 milligrams, something like that, and then worked my way up to about 100. I wasn't very good at experimenting back then, so I just, I did it for a few weeks and I sort of saw an improvement, but um, then I realized that, actually one of the reasons I stopped is I got scared of the toxicity. um, And there's actually a a, a delicate balance between minerals, uh, zinc and copper. And so I knew I wasn't getting enough copper Um, I didn't want to put this balance, uh, I didn't want to imbalance the zinc-copper ratio, Uh, so I I stopped. Um, But actually, if I were to try it again, which I most likely won't because I don't need it, and I'll tell you why, is I would try one of Jero's uh, formulas. I think that's how you pronounce their their supplements. It's it's a great company. Actually, I love most of their supplements. I don't make any money from them. I'm not an affiliate. I don't even know if they have affiliates programs at all, but I, I really, really like their formulas because most of them are, um, they're just very, very smart in the way that they design their stuff. Like they have a, a zinc formula that contains um, also like, equal amounts of, of copper in terms of daily value. So they have this zinc-copper balance formula, which is great because it ensures that you're getting a good balance of both of these two minerals. Um, now, if uh, when I did try to to consume uh, more zinc, to supplement with zinc, I, I did make sure to consume it with a meal because if not, you could get some nausea, you could get some uh, diarrhea. So I did consume it with a meal, which is important. To summarize my results here with zinc, I had a small improvement, um, and it could be because my diet already had ample zinc. I mean, it, it really depends. There are a lot of different factors which contribute to how much one person needs of a nutrient versus another. Um, Dr. Chris Masterjohn, a huge shout out to him, and also to Examine.com. Um, they're like my bibles with respect to like nutrition and, and supplements and um, and jump starting. What the, what the scientific literature says overall about a specific uh, vitamin or mineral. Um, so again, there's a lot of different uh, things which impact your requirements for a nutrient. Uh, it could be your genetics. That there's something faulty in the metabolism which requires you to actually consume more than the average person. Or it could be that your genetics are super great and you actually don't need as much of this, of this, of a certain vitamin or mineral now let's get into what actually really worked for me um and again it's not like you can just you should just throw away the you know the few supplements and foods that i just mentioned before but because those might might as well work for you even though they didn't work for me but what did work for me and what are really what i shared with you above is like the low hanging fruit the super low hanging fruit because most people when they look up how do i get rid of this damn acne. They're gonna come across zinc, they're gonna come across vitamin A. Like it's easy stuff that most people know about, um, but I had to look harder because it was not working for me. So here's what I found and here's what has actually helped me beat acne. First, we have vitamin D. Now there's been obviously a lot of, what would you say? A lot of hype around vitamin D recently, especially with the pandemic, because of claims that it, uh, it helps with immune function, um, and indeed, it does help with immune function. Uh, but interestingly, it also seems to help with acne. In fact, one study showed that 50% of those with acne were deficient in vitamin D, uh, and in this same study, they actually turned it into a randomized controlled trial as well, giving 1,000 international units of vitamin D supplementation, which did significantly improve acne. Now, in terms of someone being actually truly deficient, like uh, 20 nanograms per milliliter of 25 hydroxyvitamin D, which is the, the typical blood test that you would get, a um, 1,000 IUs is fairy dust. Like, it's, it's really nothing. Um, if you go and look up how much vitamin D do you need per day, you'll come across like 400-ish. International units of vitamin D. So, you know, you look at that and you'll say, well, a thousand IUs is actually quite a lot. It's more than double what you really need in a day. However, if you're looking at people who are already deficient, the requirement is so much greater to get them out of that deficiency. And so, you know, even one of the limitations of the study mentioned by the authors was that this study actually may not have been long enough because it might not have brought up the vitamin D levels to a sufficient amount because it just, you know, a 1,000 IUs a day will only raise it ever so slightly each day and each week. So even though they did see, the fact that they saw an improvement in acne was like pretty awesome because it wasn't a lot of vitamin D to begin with. So I actually, yeah, like myself, I I take like 5,000 IUs of vitamin D um, every day or every other day, usually every other day now because um, I find that, as i've been testing, i actually don't need that much. my vitamin D levels tend to run higher if i if I do five thousand I use or more every day so i'll actually do it every other day i'll try not to supplement i'll try to get out in the sun for you know twenty thirty ish minutes um close to an hour as much as i can i can bear without getting sunburned uh i don't use sunscreen if i do i'll use like a zinc uh zinc oxide or something um but but really like what you can get from the sun far outweighs what you can get from from food as well, even though, you know, you could eat salmon, you could eat sardines, but, I mean, you'll be pushing like 5,000 IUs for, for an hour if you're in like good quality, um, good strong sun. So, again, to summarize, vitamin D seems like it could be awesome, especially if you are already deficient. Um, something that you could do to test for that actually um, is whenever you get your physical, really be on your doctor about, him testing your vitamin D levels because unfortunately what I have found um, not the trash doctors but most of the conventional ones that I've been to the allopathic doctors um, they just for some reason they have this huge resistance to testing things that are outside of like the blood lipids or the blood sugar or you know creatinine whatever they just don't like to do it because they think it's useless um, which I think sucks because you're taking away your patient's autonomy in their health, which is, I think is a huge fucking mistake. But anyway, what I had to do in order to get this vitamin D test uh, covered by insurance is I, I would go into my physical and I would be like, or I would call in the day before or something to set up my physical. And I would say, well, uh, I would really like to get my vitamin D levels checked um, during this during this physical. And they usually say something like, oh, why? You know, you don't, you don't need to do that. There's, there's not a lot of evidence that it does really much of anything. Something stupid like that. Um, again, not every doctor, but the, the ones that I've had experience with, and I'll say no. I really want you to do this vitamin D test. It's important to me. And then finally, they'll eventually budge and they'll say, okay, sure, we can do the vitamin D. Um, so that's a good way for you to not have to buy the vitamin D test on your own um, and save you some money there. Hopefully, if not, you can always do it on LabCorp or Quest Diagnostics. Um, Merrick Health is actually a good a good resource there as well. So Merrick Health, you can buy your own lab test and walk in and do it yourself which I think is fucking awesome, because there should be more of that. Um, However, it's tricky, because as I say that, I also realize that most people don't know how to interpret their own lab tests, which is also problematic. So yeah, ideally, try it out with your doctor, try to get it covered through insurance as well. So I did have just to close on this vitamin D thing, I did have 20 nanograms per milliliter of uh, vitamin D levels. Which is uh, in many circles, it's considered deficient. In some, it's considered just like just above a deficiency, but for all intents and purposes, it is deficient. So, my protocol again was uh, 5,000 IUs of vitamin D every single day. Um, and I actually included other cofactors important to vitamin D metabolism. Um, and if you want, you know, message me on Instagram or message me on, um, Uh, through my email and you can ask me what what these are but i don't want to take up too much time talking about vitamin d so my results were that i did get my vitamin d levels above like 60 nanograms per milliliter Um, above 40 is probably sufficient i didn't really mean to get them up that high but it's not it's not dangerous it doesn't seem to be Um, but after 40 nanograms per milliliter it seems like you're starting to reap more of the benefits of, of optimal health rather than just adequacy and sufficiency Uh, At the time, I wasn't paying much attention to acne when I supplemented vitamin D, to be be quite honest. It was sort of like uh, I took vitamin D for the other benefits, um, for immune function, for uh, testosterone function, uh, or testosterone output. Um, But uh, yeah, I think I I did notice some improvements. I just wasn't paying too much attention to, um, I wasn't taking it specifically just for acne. Now, what I'm really excited to share with you about Acne is a mystery vitamin, which I had never heard about up until a couple months ago, which has made the biggest difference in my acne, bar none. And I have to take you back to the 1995 clinical trial that I mentioned at the beginning. So this clinical trial, again, as I said, questioned this whole idea that hormones were the only thing to blame for acne. And it pushed back on that and said, no, I actually think it's something else. And that's something else was a vitamin B5 deficiency, which sounds crazy. You usually hear B vitamins and you think, oh, well, it's just for, you know, it's for stress or it's for energy or, you know, for skin and nails. That's typically what we think of uh, like B complexes for. Uh, but it is an essential vitamin that is involved in energy production through our entire body. And one of the controversies I came across when I first found this is well, vitamin B5, also known as pantothenic acid, it's found in everything. So how could you possibly be deficient? And why on earth would you need to supplement with it? Well, part of why Dr. Chris Masterjohn, which is where I, I actually heard of this from, he talked about it on a podcast. And then I started to research it in, in, on PubMed. Um, and I started to research it on examine.com. Uh, Dr. Chris Masterjohn actually calls it the mystery vitamin since B5 is so prevalent in foods and true deficiencies are super rare that there's actually very little known about the vitamin. Um, and I'll explain why that is. So pantothenic acid is actually named because it's found in pretty much everything. It's got, it got its name from pantos, which means everywhere in Greek because it's found in so many foods and it and because you know it and its derivatives are found throughout the body. It's found the highest amount in uh, well in food in, in beef liver, you get some from avocado. Um, you also get uh, quite a lot from uh, unfortified nutritional yeast um, and the adequate intake for this is uh, five milligrams for those 14 years old and up. Um, keep in mind as we discuss acne dosage that's five milligrams and Dr. Masterjohn explains that there are some problems with, with this research on B5, um, because it's sort of circular. And I'm paraphrasing here, all credit to Dr. Masterjohn here. Because deficiencies are thought to be rare, no one looks for deficiencies. And because no one looks for deficiencies, they continue to appear as rare. Now, I will very much encourage you to go check out his two-part episodes on, um, on vitamin B5. Uh, they're They're awesome. Um, be patient because they can get a little bit technical, but he, he does a great job at, at breaking it down. So if you want to get deeper into the research on B5, go check it out. Now, what's the evidence for vitamin B5 with acne? Well, we, of course, start with the 1995 clinical trial, and they, they hypothesize here that vitamin B5 gets turned into CoA, coenzyme A which is involved in fatty acid oxidation and burning fats and helping to form sex hormones like testosterone and estrogen. So here's where we get this critical, very fascinating link between hormones and acne that may be different than just testosterone causing acne itself, but it may be through a different mechanism. I'm pulling a quote here from this this clinical trial. It says, at puberty, as primary and secondary sexual characteristics begin to develop in either sex, the demand for coenzyme A and therefore for pantothenic acid, because as I just explained, pantothenic acid gets converted into coenzyme A, the demand for coenzyme A and therefore for pantothenic acid increases because of an augmented requirement of these compounds in the synthesis of sex hormones. In other words, your requirement for vitamin B5 probably increases as you reach puberty, which which may be a you know that may be a big part of why you see you know when you think of adolescence and uh, being a teenager, you usually think of acne. And it may be not because of the hormones. It may be because in order to produce more hormones, you are depleting your vitamin B5 because you need the vitamin B5 in order to produce those sex hormones. So you're sort of burning them up. And so the authors hypothesized that less pantothenic acid, so as you're depleting this pantothenic acid, whether it be through actually, I'll mention several ways that pantothenic acid can be actually depleted in other ways than just adolescence. The authors hypothesized that less B5 would lead to less fatty acid oxidation and eventually more fat droplets in the sebaceous glands leading to, not in the sebaceous gland, but the sebaceous glands would produce more of these, uh, more sebum. And it eventually would lead to these fat droplets plugging up the pores, as we discussed earlier. So in other words, as I understand it, B5 will metabolize this, this fat, this sebum, and it'll sort of clear it out so that it doesn't get deposited into the hair follicle cause inflammation, lead to a bacterial infection, and cause acne. Now, as for the hormone hypothesis, the authors argue, again, that it's probably not exogenous testosterone which causes acne in teen males. So, in other words, they argue that if you give someone basically steroids, uh, it's probably not causing acne in, in teen males. But Rather, it is the endogenous, B, uh, endogenous testosterone because, as I said, B5 is necessary for the production of T. So turning it from the precursors of testosterone into testosterone itself, you need B5 and you, you are using it up as you produce your own testosterone. But with exogenous testosterone, it's already formed. So there's no real need for B5 there. Now, there are methods in this study because they actually tested this. It wasn't just an opinion piece. They gave participants 10 grams a day in four doses. And it was populations of men and women between 10 and 30 years old. And they also applied a 20% panthenic acid cream topically. So the results. One to two days after treatment had started, and I'm quoting them here, there was a notable decrease in sebum secretion, so less oil. Within one to two weeks, the frequency of new acne eruptions began to decline and the existing legions started to regress. What followed then was a process of steady and gradual improvement. In the cases of moderate acne severity, the disease was usually brought under complete control within eight weeks of treatment. In more severe cases, it took up to six months or longer. Uh, there were no side effects in this study. And finally, they mentioned that it was not only less acne, but the pore size also got smaller and also improved. There's also more recent evidence. So it's not only that one 1995 clinical trial that we're, that I'm, I'm basing my entire argument off of. Before I get into the more recent evidence, however, this 1995 trial uh, followed up actually for more than, or equal to 18 months at least 18 months they followed up after this clinical trial and they did find um, that the patients required a maintenance dose anywhere from one to five grams depending on the individual and depending on the severity usually with um, for example with the vitamin a uh, research that we talked about when they stopped the vitamin a they started to get a regression um, the difference is that here with pentothenic acid, it seems to be very, very safe. Um, but again, they still required some amount, um, one to five grams of vitamin B5 um, going forward so as to not regress and um, to keep the benefits that the initial 10 gram dose gave them. There was also a 2014 randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study, which was titled A Randomized double-blind, placebo-controlled study of a novel pantothenic acid-based dietary supplements in subjects with mild to moderate facial acne. In this study, they had 41 subjects with mild to moderate acne. It was 12 weeks of 2.2 grams of pantothenic acid, so a substantial amount less than they had in the original trial. And the results were also pretty striking. There was a 70% reduction in lesion counts after the 12-week treatment with B5, And so, as you may be wondering, and as I was wondering, is how does this thing work? And the main hypothesis here for the mechanism of action is that pantothenic acid gets converted into 4-phosphopantothene, which then ends up in coenzyme A, as I just explained earlier. And CoA may actually help the function of the epidermal barrier, which is one of the most uh, outermost layers of the skin and may help with reducing inflammation there. Uh, also, another mechanism may be that it is, you know, it is the, the reason that the 1995 clinical trial gave, which is that it is actually helping with fatty acid oxidation. And so it is clearing out that sebum, that oil, so that it doesn't actually um, clog up the pores and lead to uh, the inflammation and lead to the acne in the first place. So how did I get deficient? How do people, how might people get deficient? So I didn't do any testing, um, but many of the signs and symptoms were there for myself: uh, fatigue, irritability, restlessness, disturbed sleep, stomach and muscle cramps, and depression, um, and potentially, very potentially, graying of hair. Um, in my you know early teenage years, I did have like spots like right on the top of my head where I had gray hair, um, and there was actually a study published in Nutrition Reviews which did show this as a uh, potential cause of B5 uh, deficiency or inadequacy. So I had many of these symptoms which probably should have told me that I was deficient in something and it is very likely that is B5 because I had every single one of those symptoms. Uh, But also, I might have gotten deficient by, uh, you know, as I said, in adolescence, you have a higher requirement of vitamin B5 because you're making, you're cranking out sex hormones Uh, And also you're likely creating more muscle mass. And as Dr. Chris Masterjohn hypothesizes, um, by having more muscle mass, you are also increasing your requirement for B5 because in the muscle, it is likely that you have a much greater amount of vitamin B5. And so by putting on more muscle, you are likely increasing your requirement for B5. Next, I also did a ketogenic diet as I explained earlier. And B5 is, is necessary to help uh, fatty acid oxidation. Um, and since I did a ketogenic diet coupled with intense exercise for about a year and a half, it's very possible that I dug myself into a deeper hole and burned through my stores of B5 much more quickly because, of course, in order to burn fat, you need B5. Um, and in order to do exercise, uh, in order to put on more muscle mass, you, it's likely that you need more B5. Uh, So I probably really hurt myself there. And also many of the B5 deficiency symptoms did get worse when I did keto. So here's what I tried with in terms of pantothenic acid. So I went up with a very small dose um, and I I started to go up all the way up to like four grams, maybe topped out at four grams. So I started with uh, around a gram or two. I split it up. Into two to three one gram doses uh, at breakfast, at lunch, and at dinner, and I, you know, I went up. I went up from there. So, uh, I I would recommend if if anyone is considering trying this first, you know, be careful and make sure you talk with your doctor to see if this interferes with anything. But for me, I just decided to go all in and try it. And it, I also included, in addition to this, the uh, 10% uh, dexpanthenol face cream at night after washing my face. Which again, in the clinical trial in 1995, they also uh, noted that they used this in conjunction with the uh, supplementary pantothenic acid. And here were the results. There was a huge improvement after two two months. Um, and I will continue for another month at probably around two grams to three grams. Um, and I will, like the, like the studies said, I'll probably have to maintain a minimum effective dose going forward uh, to maintain this, this progress here. And actually, I did notice, I, I stopped taking it, I ran out for about a couple of weeks, and I did notice a, a regression of acne, um, which was, you know, I didn't really want to go through that, but, you know, now I know that you do have to have some sort of maintenance dose, at least in my case. Um, so I don't think I'd written down that I would try it with food again first, but no, I wouldn't, I would definitely not try it with food first because I don't think that food would be, would be enough for me to, to get this effect. Um, but to include more vitamin B5 in my diet, I would, I'm going to keep consuming nutritional yeast and, and beef liver and yeah, continue with this, with this dose, probably around one to two grams to see the lowest amount that I need to maintain this. As for diets, uh, the American Academy of Dermatology, totally moving away from the B5 here, the American Academy of Dermatology does mention that diet can help or worsen acne. Um, And they actually do recommend that you pay attention to your breakouts and ask yourself, is there any sort of food or beverage or anything that you're consuming that seems to trigger a breakout? Um, And then if you suspect that that does happen, what happens if you stop consuming that thing for a week or two or a day or, A month and pay attention to that so I actually do I recommend most people I think if they're trying to get their diet in check can benefit from keeping a food journal and I recommend that you do that here the first thing that I actually tried to eliminate in my diet I mentioned that I did paleo and one of the things that I stopped consuming much of was dairy and it helped me pretty significantly um, and I do notice when I have dairy, I will get a breakout almost inevitably. And so I looked into the research because I thought, well, you know, I've I've talked to some dermatologists, I've I've looked at uh, some interviews with you know conventional dermatologists, and they're they're kind of saying things like, ah, oh, that's kind of pseudoscience. Like you should, you know, just keep eating your dairy and keep eating whatever the hell you're eating. It's not going to make a difference. Um, there are some dermatologists that do recommend certain diets and excluding and eliminating certain foods. And so I looked into the scientific literature and I did find that dairy, uh, specifically milk, contains precursors to to hormones, um, including IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor, which may contribute to increased activity of this sebaceous gland and more oil and thus uh, more acne. In fact, there are several studies which have found that higher consumption of milk is associated with acne. Um, Now, again, this may not be true for everyone since the relationship between milk consumption and acne is still controversial in in, in huge uh, population uh, studies, Um, but it may be in those who are more prone to acne or are allergic or intolerant or sensitive to milk which get acne, which is probably my case because I do also have um, intestinal symptoms when I have dairy products. Now, I also looked into glycemic index and load. So there are several studies which have shown that there is a link between glycemic index of a food, which is the degree to which a certain food increases your blood sugar, the glycemic load of a food, which is basically the glycemic index times the carbohydrate content, and acne. So there's a relationship between these three things sugars and refined flours have a high glycemic index, whereas something like beans and whole grains and vegetables and berries have a lower GI. In other words, they raise your blood sugar much more steadily and much more slowly. Now, in 2020, the Journal of American Medical Association of Dermatology published a study which showed a strong association between the consumption of sugary, high GI foods, high GL foods, and acne. But of course, that's an association study, so we need some more evidence. There were two randomized controlled trials which showed that putting acne patients on a low GI diet and a low glycemic low diet, including beans, whole grains, vegetables, berries, you know protein sources like fish, meats, eggs, significantly improved their symptoms with, with acne. It decreased acne. However, there have been conflicting results because there have been other studies which did not really show benefits of lower GI and and glycemic load. Um, Part of this might be because of food frequency questionnaires. Um, If you've ever heard of these, it's a huge controversy in uh, nutrition science from what I can tell because basically think of if I asked you, how much have you eaten? Uh, How often have you eaten eggs or almonds in the past year? Like it's likely that you may not remember very well uh, so that can be problematic also the authors also argue that the sample was was younger um, a population which usually is more insulin sensitive and thus glycemic load and glycemic index may not be as important to acne in this younger population but again the American Academy of Dermatology um, does argue that low glycemic diet can help with acne and you know I I certainly experience benefits with with reducing my sugar intake of most foods. Uh, Although strangely, something like orange juice, which I've had, has no impact on my acne and if anything has helped. But things like refined flours or uh, sugar definitely gives me some sort of flare up. Gluten was something else that I actually started omitting from my diet. Um, There's not a lot of evidence for this, I'm not going to lie. Uh, But there was one systematic review and meta-analysis in 2021, which looked at gluten and skin health. Specifically, they were looking into something called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which is not an allergy, but it's also not celiac disease. Um, But it's still, with non-celiac gluten sensitivity, you still show intestinal problems or extra intestinal problems. Um, In other words, you can have some you know, bloating or, you know, your stomach can hurt, but also you may have things outside of that like rashes or skin conditions. And indeed, in this study, they found that in this case of non-celiac gluten sensitivity, gluten consumption is linked to psoriasis. It's linked to eczema, rashes, dermatitis, and other skin conditions. Um, Unfortunately and strangely, acne was not even mentioned at all in this study, um, which makes me think that it's not because there's no evidence, maybe, but it's because they just... Otherwise, they would have said there's no evidence for acne and gluten consumption. It may just be because that wasn't the focus of their study. In my experience, it did improve skin quality pretty significantly. Um, however, it improved skin quality and it improved acne, but I may be conflating other skin conditions with acne. Uh, because when I eat gluten, I don't get these huge, like, you know, normal pimples that you would associate with acne, but I, I get sort of more like bumpy skin for the hours and days after. So it may be be something entirely, but what I can tell you is that my skin quality does improve when I omit gluten from my diet. Next, I tried a honey mask. Um, So there's not that much evidence um, in the scientific literature. I actually found it on Healthline, and I said, oh, you know, let me just try this. If it works, great, if not, it's whatever. And the idea is that raw honey is antimicrobial and may help keep the bacteria in check on your face, especially manuka honey. But really, I found that any honey helps as long as it's like a good quality raw or organic honey. It helps. So my protocol with this will be: after washing my face at night, I'll put some some honey on and I'll leave it for about five minutes on my face, and I'll just wash it off with some with just some water, um, and then moisturize right after because warning, it does dry out your face if you don't have a good moisturizer. So after that, uh, after you wash off the honey, then just make sure you, you moisturize. And that has helped pretty significantly as well um, in terms of redness on my face and in terms of, uh, in terms of the number of, of a, uh, acne pimples on my face. Next, I tried vitamin C. I actually tried it for stress and I can talk about that in another episode. But The literature is really slim for vitamin C and acne, um, but it does definitely seem to play a role in skin health. Um, And the the main agreed-upon mechanisms here is that vitamin C stimulates collagen formation in the skin, uh, it helps protect against UV rays, and it helps decrease inflammation as an antioxidant. And there was a placebo-controlled study which actually looked at tattoo removal surgery, and it, it gave participants 1 to 3 grams of vitamin C per day plus 0.2 to 0.9 grams of vitamin B5 per day and the results were improved skin quality and strength in the vitamin C plus vitamin B5 group the results for myself and my personal protocol is um, I started taking a gram to two grams of vitamin C um, you know split up in one gram doses like two to three times a day for several weeks and I have noticed improvements in, totally unrelated, but I've noticed improvements in mood, hours after taking it, um, and over time I have noticed that it has it has also helped in, um, in stress reduction. Uh, skin quality definitely has improved as well. Of course, um, I'm not a controlled study, so I don't know which of the things have helped. I know that B5 has helped, but that's just because I unintentionally stopped taking it for a while and it got worse. Um, but with vitamin C, I do think it has helped with, with the skin quality, and I, I will not continue to take it long term. It was only really an experiment to take it for about a month or so, uh, because there is a possible risk of kidney stones uh, with megadoses of vitamin C, uh, more so for men. The evidence is still mixed, and it's controversial from what I can tell, but just to be safe, I will probably discontinue it after a month or so. Just out of precaution, and I'll I'll aim to prioritize you know papaya, oranges, grapefruit, and kiwi into my diet, which are very rich in vitamin C. Next, you know, simple thing that helps quite a bit is uh, alcohol and smoking. No, those don't help. That was poorly worded. Those actually do increase the amount of um, of pimples that I get in the next few days. Um, so. I would, yeah, I would know, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I I have noticed in myself and in the literature that there is a strong association between alcohol consumption, um, smoking, and acne severity. Light therapy. So this is something that you may not have heard of as much, um, but there is some intriguing evidence that it might help. So there's red light therapy. It may help with acne scars since it, it promotes the production of fibroblasts, uh, which helps produce collagen. Uh, however, it may not help with acne. The research is mixed here, um, and it's probably because the methods are so varied with a bunch of different types of red light devices. Um, so it's hard to draw a, a scientific conclusion here. Blue light therapy may also work. So all those people in the biohacking community saying that blue light is bad depends on the context. The evidence is that 400, well, the hypothesis is that 407 to 420 nanometers, which is in the blue light wavelengths, may kill bacteria, Propionibacterium acnes, by increasing reactive oxygen species in this bacteria leading to its death. There was a systematic review and meta-analysis which showed that for mild to moderate acne, a combination of blue and red light actually are effective. However, Again, many studies here either have a high risk of bias or their methods are different. And, you know, probably many of them are funded by the light device company. So there's a there's a big conflict of interest there as well. In my experience, I've, I've never tried blue light myself, but I've tried red light and I've noticed that uh, there are improvements in skin, skin quality with, um, with red light therapy after doing uh, around 10 minutes daily. Uh, I use uh, this this red light device um, from Red Light Man, it's the, it's the smallest one. It sort of looks like a flashlight and it's, it's the least expensive, but it's the most high powered and high quality one that I found. There's more expensive ones, you know, the more popular ones are like a Juve, but I just haven't, you know, found the rationale to dish out so much money for that thing. So in summary, what didn't really work very much was the Zinc, Uh, was the uh, vitamin A, and that led to toxicity, of course. Uh, What worked but took time was the vitamin B5, uh, oral and topical for around two months. Uh, The vitamin C did help. Um, What worked the fastest uh, was avoiding the sugary foods, took about a week or so. Avoiding dairy and gluten took about, again, like a week or two. And the honey face mask as well, which took a few days to about a week. What else worked? Uh, washing my face daily and having a good moisturizer. And again, I use the one with 10% dexpanthanol, which is a form of B5, uh, t- topically, directly on your face. Uh, again, just know that what worked for me may not work for you. Um, and what works for you may not have worked for me. So uh, sort of be open, you know, keep a journal. Um, be willing, to, be willing to, um, to really experiment with yourself and be patient with yourself if you choose to go that route. Now, some conclusions and recommendations. Uh, It's important to understand why and how potential acne solutions work. Uh, If not, for example, you might risk putting other nutrients out of balance. Uh, For example, as I mentioned, zinc and copper exist in a balance, which makes uh, zinc supplementation, at least long term, potentially problematic. Um, If you know why and how something works, you can understand why there might be side effects. And you'll know to get rid of that if you have really severe side effects. Um, you know overall if you don't understand why and how something works, you it really limits your ability to to continue this very long process of being the authority of your own health and figuring out your own your own health problems, which is uh, it's my main goal and you know one of the counter arguments I had in my head for this whole thing and resolving my own acne is that you know, once you get past your teenage years, your acne usually starts to decline anyway. But I I seriously doubt that that's the reason, Um, just objectively, because uh, it's, I've had acne, you know, up to 21, up to 22 years old, but it wasn't really up until the past three months that I had this huge decline, such drastic improvement. Uh, So I really, I mean, it's, I can't deny it as a possibility, of course, but I, I seriously doubt that it was, just because of age or or something like that. Again, if you're considering trying any of the above, you know, just be careful. It's 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 your never take any of this, what I've said in this podcast as fact or as um, you know, you must try this one thing. This is this is your responsibility. Um if you're really going to make improvements in your health, I think that's a huge thing is taking responsibility for your um your, your own experiments, if you choose to go that route, if not, then you know, obviously it could help you to consult with a health coach or consult with um, a dietitian or consult with a functional medicine doctor or something like that. that could help you um, be on the right track there and get some support as well. Uh, I would recommend keeping a food journal and a supplement journal. And really, uh, you know, something that I, I sucked at but I'm starting to get better at is doing one supplement or one food tweak a week. Um, really not trying to do everything at once because then you won't know what actually helped uh, or you won't know what, what hurt you in some instances and gave you side effects. I would also recommend taking progress pictures before and after in the same lighting. I know sometimes when you have acne, you just don't want to take pictures of yourself because, you know, it, it kind of sucks, but but I think you should because you'll you'll wish you had after you, you hopefully resolve your acne. Um, just to, you know, it's good for for seeing that you reached your goals and you you were the one that that did that and achieved that and it feels really good now of course, with mental health uh, acne is is very, very much tied to depression and anxiety there's many many meta-analyses which show very strong associations between acne, depression, and anxiety, which you probably already know if you're watching uh, if you're listening to this episode um, so I recommend you know seek out help. Um, stay strongly connected with uh, friends and family, you know, update people on your, your progress. Again, this isn't going to be a linear process. If you do choose to experiment, it's not going to be linear. You're probably going to, uh, it's probably going to help. One week, your acne is going to be better. One week, it might not be, but it's all a learning. It's all a learning process. So be very, very patient there. Finally, resources to check out. Dr. Chris Masterjohn, highly recommend you check out his podcast and his, uh, his website. Uh, he does specifically episodes um, on vitamin B5, which I recommend you check out. But he's a you know a master on all things vitamins and minerals. And then finally, examine.com is, has full research breakdown on pretty much any nutritional supplement you could, you could think of. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for listening. And yeah, let me know, reach out to me if you've tried anything else for acne that has helped, or if something that I mentioned here has helped, I would really like to know. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it far and wide with as many friends and family as possible. And please check out my book, Return to Human, How Modern Medicine, the Media, and the Mundane Have Destroyed Our Health and How to Move Back Towards Optimal Health. You can find it on Amazon. Just click the little filter, Books. And please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes. That would help us get this message out to way more people. Thank you for listening.